Hey everyone, welcome to This Is Not A Podcast. My name is Bobby Hundreds, and I swore I would never make a podcast. As the co-founder of The Hundreds, a men's streetwear brand that's been selling worldwide for over 16 years, I figured, is there anything left for me to say? But here we are. After publishing my first memoir and reflecting on my own experiences of building a business, my personal and financial struggles and successes, I realized there was more to talk about, maybe not just from my perspective. So for the next 10 episodes, I'll be sharing in-depth conversations with friends and heroes of mine who are in the midst of their own roller coaster narratives. I'll interview 10 people who embody wisdom, grace, hard work, and dedication. And this all with the hope that you will be inspired to explore 10 people in your own life by taking deeper dives into new relationships and different vantage points. The best part is, I still get to say, I don't have a podcast. This is just a curious audio thing where you get to meet cool, interesting people. You're listening to This Is Not A Podcast. Here's something I never thought I would say. Fred Durst and I have a lot in common. I realized this over the course of our conversation. It's crazy to me that I'm even sitting across from this guy. Number one, because Fred was such a colossal pop culture figure in the early 2000s. And number two, he's largely retreated from the spotlight since then. Although his band Limp Bizkit has reunited a couple times for albums, and even though they selectively perform here and there, Fred is missing from the mainstream today. He just kind of disappeared. I mean, he directed some big movies and is raising a family, but the Fred Durst that we knew and loved and possibly hated on, gone. And I guess because Limp Biscuit, even fans, the haters were lovers. They just were like, had to be siding on one side. Chapter 22 of my book, This Is Not A T-Shirt, is called Blow Up. And I discuss what it's like when your biggest hit becomes your biggest enemy eclipsing everything else you'd done before and afterwards. In the late 90s and early 2000s, Limp Bizkit was the ripe antidote to TRL's glossy boy bands. The rap rock band went on to be nominated for three Grammys and sold over 40 million records worldwide. But as Fred's band grew, he became more uncomfortable with the audience it attracted. In Fred's imagination, he was playing a character, and he assumed everyone was participating in the theater. Once he looked up and saw the same jocks who picked on him now cheering him on, he made the decision to let the spotlight move on without him. Today we have the honor of sitting with Fred Durst. Uh, We're in the back of the Rosewood shop, and um, pretty monumental day for me. I I honestly didn't think this was going to happen. Really? Yeah. It's like Fred Durst to me is an idea. Like, I just can't imagine that. I I couldn't ever envision the fact that he was like a real person sitting in front of me that we get to work with him. Really grateful to have you here. Man, thank you so much. That's really sweet. Truth is, it's just an honor for me because, you know, I'm really impressed with where you sit in this noisy noisy world today and to rise above the noise is not easy today yeah and talking about um cutting through all the noise when you were first starting making music in florida and i know you've answered this interview a million times but i think it's important for this generation of kids and the and the people who are listening to this podcast today um to understand the rise and what the context was 
of you and your career and startup at that time and when you're making music how did you cut through the noise i feel like back in the day i thought i knew what i was doing you know i'm living each day for the now and you make the decisions uh, based upon your gut that's how i operate as long as i made it with my gut and there was integrity and honesty involved i didn't care what anyone else thought but i thought the idea was to rise above the noise so how could we be different how can i be different than everyone else because I'm kind of a troll and I had this crazy upbringing with all this abuse and this horrible childhood and the, my outlet was skateboarding and break dancing and graffiti and, and music I love so much and it meant so much to me. But being a musician wasn't ever a thought because I don't have any skill in that world. I was just reactive to it and loved it and was obsessed with it. Realizing that Maybe there is something in me that doesn't feel funny doing something crazy in front of other people. I just felt, man, I got to do something different. It's got to be different. I've got to rise above the noise somehow. There's these other bands. You know, I first rap rock band I really thought was rap rock band was the Beastie Boys. For sure. And I was like, wow, this is a rap rock band. And, and some people that might not be familiar with what Beastie Boys do, they play instruments. They're in a band, yeah. you know, but it sounds hip hop and it sounds urban, but these guys are like legit band. And then Urban Dance Squad, I really kind of got into. And then 311 dropped this, this record music and Rage Against the Machine. I was feeling, oh, this is amazing. And then there was Corn and Deftones and all. And I was like, wow, where could, how do we fit in this place? I'll go and troll everybody and I'll find a way to just make fun of every band that I think is dope. Every rapper, everything I can do, I'll just parody it and play it straight. Huh. And But I wanted to be a filmmaker, so that's what you gotta understand. I thought I'll- Like you the, grew up thinking that you were gonna be a filmmaker, not necessarily a musician. Well, yes, because what I, I loved music and I live and breathe and I love it, I love film, is, is equal. So I thought, wow, David Fincher, one of my favorite filmmakers, directed music videos. Wow, James Foley, one of my favorite filmmakers, music videos, Martin Scorsese, like, oh, I'll put a band together and I'll direct the video and I'll kind wow. of force perspective it with fisheye. I'll take some Beastie and The Cure and Pantera and Cypress Hill and all this stuff, but we'll kind of put some humor in it. You know, and kind of have it crazy. I have a, this crazy entity where you're going, we don't know if we love or hate this. Is this guy a skater or a rapper? Because clearly I'm not a great rapper, but I love hip-hop music. Yeah. And I'm rhythmatic, so I'm kind of a drummer. So I can kind of play shit wherever it needs to go in my own cadence. I was never trying to be rep a representation of some incredible musician. Right, I, and I found that out I'm an entertainer. Like I can, I'm an MC. I can hype the place up and get and entertain them, and I can, I can take it from zero to a hundred within just a few little steps. And so, to me, rising above the noise was the name first, Limp Biscuit, and then how do we do something in our set? How do we get people's attention so I can get there to direct this music video and get this record deal? And so it was, oh, let's do a cover of George Michael's Faith. 
And that'll, you know, most of our shows were people going, y'all suck, get out of here. And then as soon as we dropped the cover of Faith, all of a sudden, that's pretty cool, man. I guess they're all (laughs) right. And and that kind of thought helped put it on the map. And the problem was, how do you get a record deal? So I followed Corn Around, gave a tape to Fieldy. I started calling record companies and lying and saying I managed this band and I would throw names out like Rick Rubin and Lon Friend and Brendan O'Brien. I'd lie to whoever answered the phone and say, these people are dying to sign this band. I'm having a showcase down in Florida. Little do I know that's how the music business operated back then. If one A&R person found out about something, someone else did, then there's a showcase and people come and bid on the band and try to get it so i put together a half-assed bidding and real record labels came to see it and it's it's a fake it till you make it story right uh did you feel like you ever really made it like did you ever reach a point in your career where you're like i've actually made this i think we'll actually feel that or i'll feel that once the andy kaufman element of it all (laughs) is hyper realized Mm mm-hmm because being in on it is a hard thing because you really become the butt of everything, every joke. And Limbisky was so polarizing. And for me, I'm not a singer. I'm just a guy who feels it so much that I can turn it on. Can you? I doubt it. Because I know I can. Yeah. And so can you get up there and do that? I can. And whether you believe it or not, I believe it. Yeah. And so I'm that kind of guy that, well, let's troll before it was called trolling you know it was my andy kaufman thing you know i'll live this private life and i'll create this persona but the persona went on further because i wasn't able to direct as soon as i got a record deal okay i want to direct my music videos uh jimmy Iovine and tom wally and ted field said you're not directing a music video peter berg is directing your music video for, for the george michaels cover faith yeah i go who the hell's peter berg <laughs> I got so upset. They didn't understand where I was coming from. We shot the video. I ended up getting a huge fight and fallout with Peter Berg because it was horrible. You didn't like the Faith video? No, I shot that one that you saw. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was another one. Yes, for the movie Very Bad Things. Yeah. Peter Berg directed that movie. And Interscope gave them our song and gave him permission to make a video for us. And that was the first thing. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. I don't know what you're talking about. So not to get sued, I had signed a record deal. So we go shoot this video. And then afterwards I said, all right, we quit. I can't it. And they go, we spent $400,000. I go, this is whack. This is not Limp Biscuit. I was really nervous and scared, to be honest. And I, <laughs> I kind of said, we quit. We're out. And so they said, what do you, how much do you want? What do you need? So I met some guy, ex-drug addict, I didn't even know, it's Swingers here, this cafe, who said he has a 16 millimeter camera and I kept running into him. So they gave me 20 grand. I went and got this guy, this guy Mark at Swingers. And I oh took gosh. him on my tour bus and I go, all right, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna take the Motley Crue Home Sweet Home video and the Bon Jovi Wanted Dead or Alive video, but it's gonna be crowds bouncing, B-boys, naked girls, crazy. They've never seen anything like it. And he's like, great, let's do it. So we pull in San Francisco, we jump out on the boulevard, we're filming. No permits, I didn't know you had to have them. 
you know, everywhere in that video, I'm just pulling out the 16 mil <laughs> and he's running it and I'm shooting it. Once we submitted to MTV, it just became number one on TRL. Like, you know, as mm. boy bands mm -hmm. and in the Slim Biscuit thing, but if it wasn't a George Michaels cover, you don't was, think it wouldn't gain traction if it no because it was a song? it was a big song from TV yeah really big and and this was just a crazy video and I think the crowd's bouncing and the madness and we had just done Family Values and we were on tour with Corn and all this stuff and after that Jimmy says okay what's the next video going to be Fred so that's how that happened and so I directed all the videos from there on it just started to become a beast and I was going. Damn, whoa, Limp Bizkit's blowing up, and this is weird. And my character is not ready for that. Right. The red cap dude is not. Right. What is he? Because that was this um, experimental, almost outside of yourself yeah. character that you had created. You know, just kept getting. I, we were having so much fun laughing, but no one else was laughing. I would see people in the audience wearing red caps, which was dope but not dope because they were assholes, bullies and, and, and pieces of shit yeah. that were pushing, beating up people. And I was going, wait a minute, I, this music is about you. What are you doing liking my music? Right. As the beast was growing. And so I'm finally partnered up with David Fincher and working on film stuff and doing things. But this beast is. Going. It's like a it's, Frankenstein. Yeah. It's bigger than. I can't even, right behind me on this interview with you right now is a gigantic gorilla with a red cap on with those fat ass sneakers and that <laughs> shit. And he's sitting there going, you know, scratching his head. That's the guy I created. Huh. And now I've learned to, to let the weight off my shoulders and not feel responsible for that persona and that thing. And now I have a lot of fun, Yeah, you know, going into that. And when we go on stage... It's magical. There's just something very magical about it. And we laugh at each other. And we laugh now that some people are maybe are kind of getting it, but I still don't think it's fully realized. So that's when I'll feel like maybe there's a made it. And that yeah. probably happen after I'm gone or after a few of these. See, I quit talking and doing interviews. And, and so with you is, is an exception because I just really like what you've done and and Thank my you. son loves what you've done and it's it's on the pulse and you know timing is everything and when you can rise above the noise in a really really noisy world you've really done something unique yeah. and so yeah i'd love to come do that with that sneaker because i go wow they're in on it yeah they get it yeah i think we do get it because on a much smaller micro scale our gorilla would be this character we have called adam bomb that i drew and that was also not done so much as a joke, but more as like, he was just a fun mascot. And they were saying, we want Atom Bomb. You're the guy who draws a cartoon bomb. And I'm like, yeah, anyone can draw a cartoon bomb. Like hey, you want a cartoon dynamite? I'll draw you a cartoon orange, whatever you want. Like every time I slapped on on a shirt, it would sell out. And meanwhile, I'd be like, look at this great essay I wrote or this short story, or I would direct like a little video commercial for us and be really proud about that. And everyone's just like, we don't have time to acknowledge you as like, multi-hyphenate and i feel like all artists go through this you're always tethered to something that people are like oh you're the guy for this you're the guy for this and you're like well i kind of want to be known for this now you know and i think the real peace comes from accepting the fact that like 
that is something great that you contributed to the world. And that's how I feel Absolutely. about you. Like, I know you can't see it from our perspective, but when we look at Fred and Limp Bizkit, we're like, this was such a significant chapter of music history and culture that not many people could do, right? And so just for us to be able to tap in on that, like in promoting this shoe project is, yeah. is like, uh, we're already seeing the reverberations from it. Like people just so excited about the shoe we're making, but also like, you should get Fred Durst involved in that. And we're like, yeah, we are. And they're like, really? Like just blowing people's heads off. I couldn't off. believe it. You yeah. know, first of all, when I was rocking the shoe, yeah, everyone was hating on it anyway, because the skater yeah. that represented the shoe wasn't the all-time great. Right. And so the skate community that I was able to be around at the time, they were hating on this dude hard. Oh, 100%. Hard. And I, I was never rocking wore the shoes, those going, shoes. Hey, yeah. man. Yeah. But the shoes are fucking crazy. Yeah. Moon boot. I can skate in them all day. I can slide down on my knees and let yeah. my feet scrape. Nothing. I don't feel nothing. Yeah. And it became like, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. This guy from the Biscuits wearing these skate shoes. Clearly. And he this this skater ain't all that, some of the dudes. So there's a double hate, you know, going on. Yeah. And I thought that was fun. I go, this is amazing. Chad Musk is at my ramp today, and I'm wearing these. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Chad's on the sneaker game, too, man. Yeah. He early on was, like, doing some... He'd come over to skate because, the ramp yeah. and be rocking some shoes. Like, yo, check out this prototype. You yeah, know, like the little weed stash pocket in the 902. That's right, yeah. man. And, yeah. he, you know, he was just really into fashion and really yeah. into art and things. And uh, but the, But there was for sure a, we don't rock those shoes. Real yep. skaters, mm -hmm. you know. And I was like, wow, well, I'm definitely rocking them. Right. You know, what is it about that? I feel like that's always been a thematic element of your life of subverting your audience. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of that, too. I do. Uh, every time they think I'm going this way, I'm going to zag. You think I'm this? I'm not. I'm this. And it's this constant feeling of feeling misunderstood, like yeah. misrepresented, misidentified. And, I, and again, I, don't, I grew up in an abusive home, too. So mm. maybe that's partially what it is from like an emotional level also just being like a fringe outlier like i was a brown kid i was an also i was an asian kid like in my school which there were like very few asians so i think just being marginalized feeling like a little bit of an outsider and then i'm attracted to like punk music and skateboarding and all the things that borderline like a dangerous bad kid mm. you know to be involved in those things because yeah. they were counterculture being predictable just something rubs me really really wrong about it to me Left of center was always par for the course. I love being different. I was a kid in school who had eyeliner on, Pumas, a Dead Kennedys t-shirt, and, and a trench coat. It was just wrong in North Carolina where I grew up. You know, it was, wow. it was very segregated. <laughs> it's like wrong in North Carolina for 2019, let yeah, alone like back so, then. it was so, so wrong in the 80s. It was yeah. wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah. And um, I stopped caring what people think, although... I secretly kind of do. And I guess because Limp Biscuit, even fans, the haters were lovers. They just were like, had to be siding on one side. You have to, you know, either like Michael Jackson now or you hate him. What I've noticed and what I think it is, is like, we have a lot of, it's a, it's a male audience, right? Like my, my fan is a male. And I think they feel very vulnerable when they think of music even more so, right? Like music is very vulnerable and it's very sensitive and, with clothing, it's almost the same, but people have like an affinity towards the brand and 
They have like a lot of good memories with it, but they don't know how to communicate that properly. And maybe that's just how male culture is, or um, there just aren't examples of like how guys can, can approach that topic delicately or to approach it normally. But it happens all the time with me too. Like I'll be in the store or I'll just be on the street in certain neighborhoods. And it's cause these guys just have to pretend like they're so tough. Cause they think like streetwear is tough and they are like, Oh, there's this cool, you know, brand and this guy owns it. So, in order for me to feel vulnerable with him, I have to put him down first, just in case he shits on me, right? Mm. Like, I think they're approaching it with, what if I say, hey man, I'm a big fan, and he's just like, yeah, well fuck off. That's gonna feel horrible. So mm. instead we have to go into the situation trying to preempt a strike with an upper hand of like, hey, I'm kinda into your brand, just in case they were like, yeah, well fuck off to me, but yeah, fuck you anyways, I hated your brand. You know, like, I get it, like, I understand why that's happening, I think it comes from like a great deal of insecurity. I feel bad that it's happening. And when I see that happening with a lot of the men who approach me, I just try to meet them like on a really honest level and be, they're like, oh, I, I, I never wore your brand, but like I respect the hustle. Like I'll hear that one a lot. And then once I meet them on their level, nine out of 10 times they come back around and they're like, you know what, man? Like I, I, I still have that one shirt and meant yeah, a lot to me. And I'm, I'm the like, same. I'll hit them yeah, up. The, the most hater of haters, I'll send them a little private little D. Yeah, yeah, always. And I'll go, hey, man, that was funny. And they'll yeah. go, hey, dude, see, you're you're yeah, you're a voice of my childhood, man. Uh-huh. Thanks for being cool. Yeah, yeah, I have so many of those I've saved. You know, it's it's just so crazy. All of it's really crazy. But you're a graceful celebrity, and I love that about you because mm-hmm. we have to be selfless. If we're going to put it out there, we're not obligated to be graceful when we meet people who react to our contribution or art. But if we're going to go out there and be out there, well, I could be having the worst time, the worst day, someone, lost someone in my family. And if someone comes approaches me, like even those haters that say something weird yeah. or secret lovers, I just am selfless about it. I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. I got you. Let's do it. And um, I feel it. Yeah. And I feel like uh, maybe you're just not in tune. You're just not that aware. I mean, that's really rude how you approach me, but I'm going to kill you with kindness. And I'm going to come the other way because you don't know me. You clearly would never know me through Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Because it's like, it's impossible to know me through that. And I think that's what's fun about Red Cap. I just think that's cool. Red Cap's like, Red Cap has a license to ill, and he can do anything he wants. And I really, as Fred Durst for real, can't control it. Mm. And and I love that about Limp Bizkit, because that's that's the fun part. And it took my my guitar player with the paints himself, Wes. Wes, yeah. He he quit for years because- I was gonna ask about that. He's quit off and on. Yeah, because he's he's very, he's such a great artist, man, and he, He's really, you so know, talented. he was hipster pre-hipster. He's yep. like really, he hates that term, but he's really in tune and on a cool level. And he yep. always liked the cool stuff. And that's why I liked him. Yeah. And he, I think he wanted to, when Limp Bizkit started blowing up, and he was in the videos, you see him, he's trolling with me. He, would, yeah. he was always down for the troll. But I think he was like, this isn't cool. Mm. And I go, well, it is actually, we're in on it. So he wanted to go and... Do what he wanted to do as an artist. And eventually, I'm happy that he came to a place where he goes, actually, this is really cool. And now he loves it. So he has a whole different perspective on everything about it. He's, he really loves it. And we have more fun trolling than ever right now. You know, So I'll just say this, which might be weird, but 
19 years ago, the weenie roast for a radio station that was playing Limp Bizkit. I guess against their will, but by popular demand, they were playing stuff. So we do this weenie roast. They have us do it, and this riot starts. Glow sticks flying everywhere. We loved it because it was just the place was going bananas, you know, and that's my job. Problem, we get sued because of the riot. So 19 years ago, we're banned, and for years, they talk junk. Always oh, you know, talking junk. And then we get this call. The fans are really upset that we didn't add Limp Biscuit to their festival this year. They've been calling in and questioning this and that. Fred, would you please do it? And I go, let's, let's make a fake scenario. You call me on my cell phone, I'll hang up on you. And then you're going to have to keep calling me live on the radio and talking me into it. And they're like, great, that sounds great. So we do this thing and we show up and this past weekend we do this. I said, we'll play for 15 minutes, right before 3.11. We'll just kind of come out and do our thing. The audience wasn't our audience or anything like that, but it was fun to be graceful about something. Mm. That I could have taken that opportunity live and really said what I needed to say yeah. for a long time. But I just like, you know, I'm going to be graceful about it. I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to bring up all the you know, stuff and all the weird huh. things we went through. And so to me, I feel happy about it. And what I really love is young people at the audience at the shows today. So I'll say, how many people, first time seeing Limp Bizkit? You know, 20,000 people raise their hand. You're going, everyone here has never seen Limp Bizkit? It's your first time. And it's like, hey, they're discovering this. They're hearing about it. And there's something that stands out to them. Or, and it's one way or the other. And they come to this concert just to say, let me go see. And they go, it's just like it's starting over again. It's amazing, except for I'm 49. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only difference. But we go harder than ever up there. But the irony is these young people are discovering this music. And my son, 17, and all his friends, they're all over at the house. They got no clue. That was really interesting. I wanted to ask about your son. What's that like for you? Are you, what's it like having a kid right now? Or what are your fears? What do you want for him? Um, what are lessons that you are trying to bestow upon him? Wow. Well, I was definitely, with my son, I was, I broke the cycle. I did the opposite. I literally, extreme opposite, which is not what you should do, honestly. There's a balance with everything. But I just said, you know what? I'm never going to hit this guy. I'm never going to braid him. I'm not going to control him. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm going to let him be himself. I'm going to give him a fair chance to be Dallas. My son's name is Dallas. It's, I'm going to let Dallas find Dallas. I'm not going to pressure him about where to go to school, what to do, as long as he can be a good person, which he is, and just show respect and just be a good person with good morals. Respect women and you know their chivalry and and be polite to people and not wish bad upon people and not think drastically, you know, for results of reactiveness. And so I was blessed with all that. He's all that. But, you know, as a dad who just gave him so much love, and I'm kind of a harsh business guy, and I'm, I'm a, as a boss, I'm a hard boss. But with a dad, I'm a soft dad. And uh, so I don't get that love, you know, that... That love that I could have enforced. I could have enforced the, you know, it, but I don't. It's more like, 
yeah, what, Dad? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean, what? I mean, it's me. I'm saying, what's up? And he's like, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> you know, you're just like, wait a minute. But And so I'm, you know, I'm making food, bring him food. I just take good care of him. He's a sweetheart. He's really smart. He's such a gentleman. He's everyone's parents and everybody's, God, your son is so sweet and amazing and such yeah. a gentleman. Then he comes home. He's like, whatever, dude. You know, so I said, well, let me think of my own philosophy here. He needs a punching bag. Instead of punching anyone else out in the world, he can come home and take it out on me, and I'm going to let him do it. Yeah. Because he's got to flex. We got to flex. Yeah. yeah and why yeah. flex at school? Why flex on the street? Yeah. Come home and flex on your dad. <laughs> so, so I'm dealing with that, and one of the, my concerns is the vaping. And weed's legal here. So am I going to be the guy that says... I'm forbid them from all this stuff and make them want it more. I'm just going to let them be himself. Yeah. So it's concerning as a dad in that way, but he's really sharp. He's got it together. He's got such a great head on his shoulders and he's very grounded. But man, he's his own mind. He's his own person. And our kids are not us. Yeah. They are not us and we can't make them us. We have to just provide a, a nurturing environment to let them be them and be the best them they can be it's like planting a seed for a tree you know you got your soil and seed and if you take care of it right it's just going to be what it's going to be yeah and that as a father has been my biggest accomplish accomplishment and struggle um i feel like i'm 10 years behind you because i'm um i'm 39 and my older son is nine so in 10 years he'll be uh 19 and um and it's it's a little frightening to hear that because I it's something I'm not even thinking about yet is the vaping and and, and weed. Um, I didn't either at his age. Right, couldn't even imagine it. Yeah, but it is so pervasive in the culture. And I think even though you are being such a generous father and doing such a good job as a dad, as as best as you can be doing, um, I think also just the environment in general right? Like the physical environment, but also the environment within these phones is so overwhelming. It's too much for people to handle in general, let alone young people to be coming up with this much stimuli, this much inbound, right? Mm -hmm. That I think that's why there's such a retreat into cannabis, into vape, into um, any type of substance or uh, any other type of like escape. It's just to be able to tolerate that. So last question, which you kind of touched on, was your theory on merchandising. I didn't know this, that uh, there hasn't been a Limp Biscuit official Limp Biscuit merchandise for maybe 10 years at this point. What is your theory behind that? And, and where is that going? And what's the, what's the point? Well, I just felt that, you know, people expect it. It's our thing of the predictable nature of hmm. concerts. So I go there, I'm getting my t-shirt. Well, not at my concert. You know, for a while, it's, it's awesome revenues. There's lots of money I'm, I'm saying no to. But I thought, what if they can't get the merchandise there? And what if they can't buy it online? What if there is no online store or anything? I can do it in a cool way. You know, you do deals with the merch companies back in the day and this, and I'll be in Europe or Russia and I'll pick up the tea. Yeah. And I'll go, this is a terrible t-shirt. Wow, they're paying how much for this? Because the venue's taking this much and this and this. This is not fair for these people. This is a whack shirt and it's got my name on it. I can't do it. 
I want to at least like the shirt, you know, and, and I'm just thinking, well, I want to put out a Limp Bizkit hoodie so bad. But I just want to do it with someone that's right and that goes, ah, this is cool. Let's put this out. And I know the blanks are cool. I've seen them and I know that it's going to reach the right audience. And I don't care if it reaches a Limp Bizkit audience because I don't know what a Limp Bizkit audience is. Hmm. I just don't understand that. What is that? I mean, people who like Limp Biscuit back in the day, I mean, they ain't listening to Limp Biscuit. They ain't buying hoodies, probably. They, <laughs> a lot of the people I see my age or that were around then, they're whack in a way. No disrespect, <laughs> but they just like lost touch with, or they made it to some point and plateaued out. And I went, damn, man, that's, that's not who I'm selling merch to. That's not the Limp Biscuit audience. I should maybe make a salad dressing for those people. I want my son to want to wear a hoodie. And yeah. My son has never had a Limp Bizkit hoodie. So I'm thinking, man, soon I want to drop something where he's like, because he probably wouldn't want to wear a Limp Bizkit hoodie because I'm his dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I was... No, I would. I don't know. That I don't know. Dude, yeah. I, I want to say this too, but I'm really, I'm about to drop, I'm going to come up with my own brand name. I want to drop my own hoodie that's mine. Then through through that brand, I want to license some Limp Bizkit and drop yeah. some stuff. But on the bomb... Yeah. I'm going to send you a picture of one of our first t-shirts, and it was very similar to your bomb. Whoa! It's a bomb in Limp Biscuits before I changed the spelling of Limp Biscuit. Wait, it was a Limp Biscuit shirt with a bomb on it? It's a Limp Biscuit shirt, and the bomb's going to bug you out, because the one, it's... Wait a close, minute. Baby. It's really close. You can We just excavated gold right now. I mean, this was a serendipitous collision because <laughs> this is crazy. The bomb is gonna blow your mind. So I can't we wait gotta, to show it to you. I'll text it to you. That, man. Yeah. It's gonna be it's different, but it's kind of cartooned. It's 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 got the you know the cool thicker white outlines on it. It's got the fuse and it's just like trippy. It's so funny. Dude. It's funny, man. Awesome. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me, man. That's it for this episode. I'm your host, Bobby Hundreds. Our show was produced by Andrew London and edited by Rachel Kastner and Ivana Tucker. Music by Alexander Spitt. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.